Our Old Testament reading this morning is from 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. And this is shortly after David has made plans to, um, to build a house for God. And God comes to the prophet Nathan and says, no, go tell David this instead. <clears throat> Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and we thank you for your word which you have given to us. Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed. To hear it. To really hear it. Or to understand what you are communicating. And Lord, to be ready to live it as we follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 8. It says, Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house. And your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Turning then to Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 41 for our New Testament reading. This is um, Paul on one of his missionary journeys. And I like to do a lot of the summarizing of some of the stories in the Old Testament. Paul does so here in a way that I think you may find helpful. It says, from Paul, I don't know, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. 
God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, what do you suppose, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, You are my son. Today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure, the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, our sermon text this morning is picking up where we left off last week, which is actually just a third of the way through a genealogy. So that's where we are. And as soon as I say uh, genealogy, I know that uh, those of you who didn't already say that you were sleepy this morning suddenly became so. (laughs) Because you get this list of names and weird names at that. But as I mentioned last week, I see genealogies kind of like high school yearbooks where yours is interesting, other people's not so much because you know the people or you don't. And with genealogies in the Bible, they seem like other people's yearbooks until you get more and more familiar with the whole biblical story. And then it starts becoming more like it's your own yearbook and you start recognizing those names and those names actually kind of jump off the page. You're like, ah, I remember that whole, the whole story about so-and-so and here it is just in name form. So this is where we pick up the genealogy, particularly the genealogy that Matthew tells us, is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the way that he opens his whole book to tell us the good news of Jesus. It's by starting with a list of names. We looked at some of those last week, the ones going from Abraham all the way to David, and how Jesus was the fulfillment of of what God had promised to Abraham to be the blessing to all the world. 
that would come through Abraham. This week, we're going to look at something um, more specific as we get through that line. And we're going to start halfway through verse 6, right there. That David was the the father of Solomon. Oh, um, by the way, sorry. I meant to say, as you listen to these names, try to note which ones you recognize already. What do you know about each of these people just off the top of your head? Here we go. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary uh, was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. There you go. Do you recognize any of those? Anybody recognize all of them from anywhere besides just Matthew 1? Probably not. Probably not. Um, But hopefully you were able to recognize some of them. Some of these are big names in the whole story. So as you go back to the Old Testament and you're reading your way through, you're going to hit somebody like David. And the Bible spends a lot of time talking about David. And then you get on to, you know, Solomon. There's a lot in there about Solomon. And as we follow down... If you start noticing these names, you might start noticing something they had in common. Anybody notice anything they had in common, this first section we just read, from verse 6 through verse 11? Somebody does. One of the things they all have in common is they were all kings. This is a kingly line coming from David. And so what we were looking at last week with Abraham was this promise to be a blessing for the whole world. What we're looking at this week is specifically what it means to be a son of David, what it means to be in this kingly line, uh, and not just, not just the kingly line, but this particular kingly line, and what it means for Jesus to come not only from this line, but at this time. Here's the deal. You see at the end of the... Um, of the passage we just read, where Matthew tells us, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Well, that's convenient, isn't it? It's also a bit different than the way we do genealogies today. Typically, when we list genealogies, when we say so-and-so was the father of, we mean that was his son, right? But this can mean father can also mean like forefather. We use that term as well like ancestor of. And if you read back in the Old Testament, there are some of the kings that are just dropped out of the list as you read Matthew 1. 
Well, that's weird. It's almost like Matthew is trying to pattern, like only include enough names so that there's 14, 14, and 14, as though 14 is some kind of big number for us. That ring any bells for you? Is the number 14 special somehow? Probably not. Two weeks? I don't know. Fortnite? Um, Probably not because you probably don't speak or read Hebrew or know how the lettering and numbering system works in Hebrew. But the number 14 is actually the number that you get if you add up the letters of the name David. Huh. Four, six, and four. Interesting. And how was it he started this whole thing again? This is the genealogy of the son, or the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He could have just said the son of Abraham and given us the whole list, but he doesn't. He also says the son of David the son of Abraham. And then when he gets to the end, he makes this point of the 14 thing, almost like we're supposed to catch on to the David thing. Why? What was so special about being a son of David? Well, if you remember who David was, he was the king uh, from the line of Judah. He was the first king from the line of Judah. So before David, they had had this period of the judges. We talked about that last week, how this period of the judges was a very disturbing time in the history of Israel. And then after that, though, they said, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. And the king they got was Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. But all the way back at the end of Genesis, we had seen um, Jacob blessing his sons. And when he got to Judah, he said that the scepter was not going to depart from Judah. In other words, that there was going to be a king in the line of Judah who would come and that this would be a forever line. So Saul becomes the first king, but he's not from Judah. So what is that about? And I love uh, the way the song we sang earlier puts it. You know, hello, Saul, first king of Israel. You were foolish and strong, so you didn't last long. Goodbye, Saul. That's kind of how it goes. Instead of following God, he kind of follows his own way and then tries to make it okay after the fact sort of thing. No. And so instead, we get David. David from the line of Judah. And that's what we've been following along the first half of the genealogy, that Abraham, yes, then Isaac, then Jacob, and then Judah. David comes through Judah. This is important. All the way back to the promises to Abraham that uh, he's going to be this king. But here's the thing. You look at the way the kings go from the tribe of Judah. How well does that whole thing go? It's almost like, okay, we're going to get a king and then everything's going to be great. And they get King David, who was the greatest king they ever had. And even he had some problems, which you might remember, even Matthew pointing it out for us, that David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. That's Bathsheba, if you know that story. If not, look it up. It's interesting. This is um, 
bringing kind of to the forefront what it is that David did that was not what he was supposed to be doing as king. And so from this time forward, people have been waiting for the king who would be like David, but better. And you know who the son of David was? When you first look at the sons of David, what they did? One of them was Absalom. You know what Absalom did? He tried to rebel against David, take the kingship for himself, have David uh, killed or exiled himself so that he could just take over. Well, that's not good. Didn't go well for him in the end. But then he has another son that does become king, Solomon. And wasn't Solomon a great king? Depends on what standard you're using. By our normal measurements of what makes for a great king, Solomon seemed to tick a lot of the boxes. But if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, where Moses says, when you do get a king, here's what the king is not supposed to do. Solomon looks like the kind of person who read that list and did exactly the opposite. He was not the kind of king that was doing what he was supposed to do by God. And as you read through the list, and as you go uh, through the Old Testament, there'll be like these taglines, so-and-so reigned how many years, and they did right in the eyes of God, or they did evil in the eyes of God, or whatever. It'd be like this one-line summary. Or they did... uh, good in the eyes of the Lord. However, they did not remove the high places where people were sacrificing to idols, etc. So not so great. And this was the story. You have some that are doing more okay than others, some that are doing really, really bad, but in all, it's a mixed bag and it's not great. And that's the history of the kings of Israel. But the whole time that you're watching this history of the kings of Israel happen, you still have that promise to David, ringing in your ears. The promise that Jacob made uh, to Judah all the time back, that the scepter is not going to depart from Judah. Now you have this promise that God makes to David, I'm going to build a house for you. You're not going to build one for me. I'm going to build one for you. This family dynasty, you are going to have someone in your, from your family who sits on the throne forever. And so they keep waiting for this wonderful king. And every new king, you know that that's the kind of anticipation This time it's going to be different. This is going to be the one. Nope. Just like before, disappointed again. On and on and on. Perhaps you feel like you have lived through similar cycles of hope and disappointment yourself. This is what people have been waiting for, and it hadn't come. Yet. And then things get worse, and they go into exile. The Babylonians come and take them away. No more kings. So what happened? What happened to that promise? That there was going to be someone on the throne of David. And this is what, uh, and so then you get all this list of names after the exile, not kings anymore. And most of these are ones that We don't know them from other parts of the Bible. This is just where we know them from. Is this connection here. Because they weren't kings. We know Zerubbabel. He came back and uh, was a governor of Judah after the exile. Helped to rebuild the temple, etc. 
Most of these we don't know. But here's why Matthew opens the book this way. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's going to share with us the good news that the promise to Abraham has been fulfilled, yes, but also the king has come. The one who is that son of David, the one who is like David in that his heart, uh, he has a heart for God, but who doesn't have the same weaknesses David had. Who doesn't have the same problems that David had in not following God. And so we have uh, this son of David language that gets used. And when it gets used, it means a couple things. It means someone who's in this line, yes, but it means the one who is going to fulfill this promise to David. It means the one who's going to rule over not just Israel, not just Judah, but over the whole world, who's going to rule in a way of justice and righteousness and who's going to rule in a way that's different than all these other kings have done. Now read the rest of the book of Matthew and tell me if Jesus doesn't fit that. As you read the rest of the book of Matthew, you keep hearing this word king and you keep seeing this term son of David. And yet Jesus is so very different from the kings of this world. And that's the point. Is that the reason that it is good news is that Jesus is not another king like all the failed kings we've had before. But Jesus is the king that we actually need. This is why it is good news for him to be uh, the son of David. And this is why as we follow Jesus as our king, we are following a different kind of king than all those uh, other kings of this world. We're following him in a different way because he rules differently. He rules in the way of love. Instead of being overbearing, he rules in the way of service. And sacrifice, very different. But he is the true king. He is the true king that we have needed. He is the true king uh, that has come and who will come again. As we prepare for Christmas this year, as I mentioned before, we are preparing to celebrate the time that Jesus came at the beginning, but we're also preparing for when he will come again just like the people waiting through all those other kings were waiting for Jesus to be born the first time, we are still in a period of waiting now for him to come again. He rules now, yes. But there will come a day when he will rule uh, in a way that is unquestionable. Or as it says elsewhere, where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. But as we look forward to that now, we can do so following him now in his way. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Amen.